Hi, this is Bailey Curry. Dallin Bestwick here. Brennan Gaunt here, former driver number 62. This is Gary Owen from the Going YouTube channel. Hi, I'm Rafael Sard. Quick Pick Podcast. It's not that tough. Connor, Ethan, Quick Pick Podcast. You're listening to it. Everybody tune in. Welcome back to the Quick Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan. I am by myself this week. Eric will join me in segment number two to break down the latest news of the week, including the colleague appeal being uh, upheld, uh, NASCAR owner meetings uh, going poorly, and some other news as well. Uh, that'll be Eric in the second segment. But for the first and third, just me this week as I break down Richmond. And, and in the third segment, you'll hear... Uh, my preview for the upcoming race at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway for the dirt race on Easter Sunday night. Excited to see how that one goes in its third iteration. First of all, some exciting news. Uh, I'm happy to announce that the podcast, Quick Pit Podcast, has joined the Variety Sports Network. You can find them on Twitter as well as uh, on their website. Um, and yeah, so we're joining a podcast network. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can work with some uh, other podcasts. We're excited to, to collaborate with them, to, to promote with them. You can check them out on YouTube. Um, and they have a whole bunch of different podcasts. They have uh, some regional ones, like for they've got some for uh, St. Louis. They're based out of St. Louis, so a lot of uh, St. Louis uh, podcasts. But a whole bunch of different sports, uh, different teams, different uh, leagues represented. Uh, they've got a, a collegiate network. They've got a football network. They've got a baseball network um, and, and some other stuff as well, hockey. And, and, and so we're going to join. We're going to become their their uh, main NASCAR show, which is super exciting that we'll be the only NASCAR show, racing show on the uh, network. But you can check them out. We'll put the links in the description below. You can check all their stuff out. We're excited to be partnering with them. As a result, you'll probably hear different companies advertised as well in the future, some cross-promotion uh, for other shows that they have on the network, stuff like that. Uh, so I am very excited to announce this, and Connor and I and Eric as well, we're, we're pretty hyped to get this uh, next chapter of the podcast on the road as we approach our, our three-year anniversary in just a couple of, uh, in about a month or two. Um, I forget when. I think our first episode went up the first week of June or something like that in 2020. So uh, we are definitely, let me see if I can find it. We're, we're, we're uh, already nearly three years in and, and trucking forward. Uh, yeah, first weekend of June was, uh, I believe, our, our first episode. So with that much being said, big thank you to our sponsors, Washington on the Daily, Spoiler Diecast, 213simware.com. You'll hear about the second two later on in the show but washington on the daily keck check him out on twitter and instagram at wsh on the daily for your latest news and updates for the washington commanders his information and links are in the description below as a result uh we will uh, move into the recap for last weekend's race at richmond Overall, a pretty good race, I will say, that the Toyota owners 400. First of two races at Richmond. Uh, most cautions in a, a handful of years, eight cautions. Uh, lots of passing, lead changes. Um, a pretty high number of green flag uh, 
uh, passes. I can't, I don't know the exact numbers, but I believe both for cautions and green flag passes is the highest since like 2014 or 2015, something like that. And it got a pretty high score on Jeff Gluck's was it a good race poll. There was strategy, uh, there was tire issues, uh, tire strategy, um, pit strategy, I keep saying that. Lots of passing, lead changes, comers and goers. You had short-term cars, long-term cars, long short-run, long-run cars. Uh, short-run cars, uh, Hendrick Motorsports some, brought some pretty fast Chevrolets for William Byron and Kyle Larson, as well as Alex Bowman being in the picture, and um, Martin Truex Jr., Christopher Bell, and Denny Hamlin all had fast Toyotas, especially as the runs went on. So, to break it all down, we'll, I'll run through the top 10 here. Brad Keselowski finishes 10th. Uh, qualifying was rained out, so he had to start at the back of the pack. He ended up having a pretty good run, led a lap, finished 10th. He ran higher, but um, they, they made some questionable strategy calls in the last stage, left him out a little longer than they could have lost some track position, but managed to, to gain it back towards the end of the race. Coming home in ninth. We have Ty Gibbs. First of all, Brad Kislowski, he is having a very solid year at this point. He's currently 10th uh, in the standings. He's already got half the amount of top 10s he had last year and a lot more laps led as well, which is uh, really promising to see. He, Brad, has led a lap in every race except Coda, which is pretty pretty impressive, I, I got to say. Um so, good run for Brad, all things considered. Ty Gibbs with his third straight ninth place finish. Ty's a career high that he set last week. No, that he tied last week. Set the week before. He's got three top tens on the year and is now situated in, I believe, 18th in points. 20th in points. But he's having a really solid rookie season. Uh, he's barely been on TV, which is about what you can ask for. For a rookie, he's keeping the cars clean, bringing them home in one piece. He's got an average finish of 16.9. Mighty impressive for him. And coming home in eighth, we have Alex Bowman. He started out front uh, due to the qualifying metric. He maintains his points lead. He's still the points leader uh, after seven races. Uh, he ran top five all day. The last green flag round, he slipped back a little bit. Car got away from him, but still, he's finished uh, in the top ten in six out of seven races this year. He's got the best average finish in the in the garage at 7.1. And his worst finish is 14th, and that came at Atlanta. Everything else has been in the top ten. He has three top fives as well. He's up front. Not leading a ton of laps, but still, uh, he's led laps in almost every race, it seems, in some capacity. And so, he's having a, a very impressive year, especially the last couple weeks without his crew chief. Um, I like what I'm seeing from the 48 car, and, and this is easily the best he's looked in a long, long time. Joey Logano finishes 7th, not much to say there, good solid run for the 22 team. Michael McDowell stayed out late and caught a caution uh the team was running back half of the 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 teens uh, 16th through 18th all day they stayed out caught a caution um and on pitch strategy managed to get the track position right at the end held on for a sixth place finish first top 10 of the year for that team but they're sitting pretty solid in 18th in the standings um that team has continued to impress and grow over the last couple years, and the 34 team looking to improve this weekend 
at Bristol Dirt as well. Kevin Harvick, uh, the winner of the last race at Richmond, uh, the summer race in 2022, finishes fifth. Christopher Bell finishes fourth. Uh, the man he blamed for wrecking uh, for, uh, for on the on the second to last race start part. Uh, pardon. He uh, got into William Byron, spun him out. Byron was good all day and, and had nothing to show for it. Byron led a 117 laps, won a stage, uh, and, and finished 24th because he got spun by Christopher Bell late in the race. Bell blamed Chastain, who finished third. Ross Chastain, um, another top five for him. He's currently second in the point standings. Uh, I don't think it was Chastain's fault, Christopher Bell. And... Uh, Chastain, I think, is getting frustrated uh, because everyone's blaming him for a lot of things. Some of the stuff is valid, but this time Chastain was just going for a pass, getting clean air, and Bell um, drove up into to William Byron. That's how I see it. And uh, Bell apologized on Twitter to Byron, but not to Chastain. So maybe some bad blood there, but Chastain pointed out that most of these drivers who've complained about him have been saying it on Twitter and through the media, and not actually talking to him himself. Coming home in second, Josh Berry pulled the same strategy McDowell did, uh, but he was leading, led 10 laps, held on, finished second. Really good run for the fill-in driver for Chase Elliott, who should be back in two or three weeks. And um, this really puts Berry on the roadmap. Best career finish in the Cup Series. Second, top 10 in his stint filling in for Elliott. Uh, since Elliott went out with a leg injury prior to, <clears throat> excuse me, prior to Las Vegas, Barry with a very good run on Sunday, and Kyle Larson on what would have been Ricky Hendrick's 43rd birthday wins his first race of the year, second career victory at Richmond. Um, for Rick Hendrick, he led a uh, 93 laps, did not win a stage. Denny Hamlin won the other stage. Um, but uh, really great run for Larson at the end. Pulled it out. Uh, gets his first win of the year after dominating a couple earlier races. He led a ton of laps at Phoenix and at Vegas and fell short in both of them to his teammate. This time he gets, well, it would have been really interesting to see how he would have stacked it up against Byron if Byron hadn't got spun. But either way, Larson, third win for Hendrick Motorsports, first win of the year, punches his ticket to the playoffs. Really good run for the five team and, and overall a good race. Now let's talk about some guys who struggled. Um, Martin Truex Jr. led 56 laps. Uh, however, the caution caught him at a bad time. They had used one more set of tires than everyone else and so they had to put on scuffs for the last three starts. And he ended up falling back to 11th after running top five all day long. Denny Hamlin had multiple uh, pit road penalties. He had a couple speeding penalties and a and, and, uh, long pit stop as well. He was blindingly fast. He led 71 laps and won a stage, but was uh, on the last caution, last pit stop. He sped on pit road and was unable to get back up front. Corey LaJoy, how about this? As another lead lap finish, finished 21st. Another really solid run for him. He is still in the top 20 in points. And his worst finish this year is, I want to say, 25th, which is really solid. Uh, his, his worst finish is 26th. He's finished on the lead lap in all but two races this year. He's only 
uh, failed to complete two laps. He, the two races he did not finish on the lead lap for, uh, he finished one lap down. So really, really good run. He's 19th in points right now, right in the thick of it. If he can just bring off some good runs. And, and Bristol Dirt is a chance for him to, it's a bit of a wild card track. As well as Talladega coming up. Martinsville is good at the, the um, he's good at the, excuse me, at the short tracks. Uh, and then Dover as well last year had a good race. His his April, his month of April could be really solid. The, the, the tracks set up for him there. So, otherwise, really good race, I think. Um, I enjoyed it. I think the short track package is definitely an improvement. Uh, if they could just have a little bit more horsepower, it would be great. There was good tire wear, good, just good racing. Uh, not... There were enough cautions to keep things interesting. They came at good times to spice things up strategy-wise. But it wasn't a wreck fest. Even though there was a late race caution, it was legitimate. And they still raced pretty cleanly towards the end. And you had some really intriguing finishers there as well. So, uh, I'll give the, the smooth move of the race. I gotta say, I gotta give it to the guys who stayed out on strategy. Three cars ended up staying out on strategy on the last run. Uh, which shaped up, uh, I believe the last run was going to be 90 laps long when they restarted. Um, so everyone, all the leaders decided to pit. Josh Berry, Michael McDowell, and his front row motorsports teammate uh, Todd Gilliland chose to stay out. Berry, McDowell, and Gilliland were all running like 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, somewhere like there before the cycle. They were the top three, or no, they were, they had just been caught by the guys who had pitted when the caution came out, so they were all running in the top 10 when the caution came out, but it had been 20 laps or so since everyone had pitted, so everyone needed new tires, so they gained about 10 to 15 spots in net track position and ended up holding on um, McDowell and Barry for top 10s, and... Uh, I think um, Gilliland ended up finishing 15th, yes, who had a really solid run. Started 13th, finished 15th. He's been pretty good in the 38th the last couple weeks. So Front Row Motorsports and Josh Berry with the smooth move of the race. Coming up next, me and Eric will break down the news from the week. We'll have some debates and we will discuss the future of NASCAR and what uh, NASCAR's identity should be as well, which kind of just happened naturally, but it's a good discussion. I encourage you to stick around. That's up next on the Quick Pit Podcast. Back to the Quick Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan, joined by Eric. This segment, as we break down the news for the week, this segment is brought to you by SpoilerDieCast.com. Check them out uh, in the links below for all your diecast needs and desires. They've got all the updated uh, new next-gen cards. They've even got some 2023 diecasts in stock right now, and you can use promo code QUICKPIT, all caps, no spaces, for a special order. Special offer on any order, $20 or more at checkout. How are you doing today, Eric? Well, you caught me mid-yawn. 
Uh, I almost couldn't answer. Um, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, wow, that yesterday was a weird and a very controversial news day. I'm sure we'll get into it. It'll be a lot of fun. Yes, it is 11:46 a.m. here on the East Coast on Thursday. We're I'm, I'm recording the whole thing um, uh, on Thursday, right before we upload. Um, this is the first segment we're recording. So if you've already heard Eric, possibly, or, or, or Connor, or someone else, well, uh, sorry if it's a little confusing. Anyway, we got the, the news to break down. Um, first of all, something positive, and then we'll get into um, some other things. Dale Jr. and Sundrop have signed a multi-year deal for him to run uh, multiple Cars Tour uh, super late model events this year. He'll be running the North Wilkesboro race again this summer for the Cars Tour. And that will extend through 2024. So that's cool. Sundrop is uh, a, a Southern Soda brand. I think it's pretty similar to Sprite, or, or maybe no. I think it's more of like a grapefruit citrus soda. So, um, any thoughts on that? It's cool that they're still doing it because I love that paint scheme, the throwback, and the fact that that Junior is still involved in racing in some way. That's what I was about to say. This honestly makes me think that if he never had all those concussions, he probably would have raced for at least like two or three more years if if he was completely healthy. I uh, I don't see him as as one as someone to complain about the long hauls and stuff like that. I think he was perfectly content with going around the country and driving because I think he loves it so much. So I think he would have been all around for way longer if if he was perfectly healthy. So it's it's great to see him still committed like this for multiple years to to, to racing right like the, even if it is just a couple of starts a year it's still it's still fun to see him genuinely want to go out there and drive so i'm always glad to see him on track um i forgot exactly what race he's doing for xfinity this year i think he said it was martinsville always excited um love seeing him on seeing him on track one of my favorite drivers ever so great to see him still involved Yes, and, and all all the merch and throwback stuff. Junior Motorsports does a great job um, with the throwback designs and stuff. So that's exciting just because I like the merch. In fact, I'm wearing my Sundrop shirt that I got last year underneath my hoodie today. So uh, good timing with that, um, and, and that's pretty exciting to see. Which uh, major news do you want to get into next? The colleague news or the owner meeting news? I think the colleague news are a little uh, a little lower on the pedestal when it comes to controversy. So we can start with that. Yeah. So colleague racing has pretty much lost their appeal um, on the hood louvers uh, penalties, the L2 penalties. Uh, the only uh, the, the appeals panel ruled on Wednesday to uphold the L2 level penalties issued to Colleague Racing uh, for the uh, improper modifications of the hood louvers that was found on both uh, the 31 car of Justin Haley at Phoenix and then Hendrick Motorsports, of course, as you know, got dinged for the same thing and then basically got all their points back last week. The only change... Uh, that the panel issued was they changed it the penalty from 100 to 75, which, I mean, I guess colleague will take it, but I'm sure that they're not happy. I was listening to Sirius XM this morning, uh, NASCAR Radio Channel 90, and they had Chris Rice on, team president for colleague. He was not happy. He was confused 
Um, and and really overall, I, I think this is shown the last couple of weeks. We need more transparency, transparency in the process because I don't like. It's even hard to issue an opinion on this because we don't know why they ruled why they did. And of course, this is a different appeals panel than Hendrick had. Um, and so obviously they were not thinking the same way that the Hendrick panel was. And I mean, I I think it's it, this the last couple of weeks have kind of exposed the system in a way in showing that, you know, we might need. We might need to overhaul this to to make sure it's balanced and fair. And I don't know exactly how to do it. Really stinks for colleague because they uh, this hurts them more than the same penalty would have hurt Hendrick. Um, because all four of the Hendrick cards were probably still making the playoffs. They were still winning, going to win races. Um, colleague, colleague, they are absolutely in a must-win territory now. If they weren't already, they are now. Um, and I, I don't know, I think Haley is finally back in the positive points. Yes, he has 26 points. If, if that's updated from the penalty, that means after Richmond, he had one point. Um, so, you know, he's, I, I, I don't, he's over a hundred points out of the last playoff spot at this point. Um, and, and so he he's done for his season is toast. He needs a win. Hendrick Hendrick is fine here. And, and, and so if I'm calling racing, they, they don't see, it doesn't sound like they've heard the exact reasoning. Um, and because they have said the same thing Hendrick said is that they have documentation of problems with the parts and, and why they messed with them. Uh, and that didn't work on this panel, but apparently it did work on Hendrick's. I know what you're going to say. Eric, that's rigged in Hendrick's favor. I don't think it is. I think it's just overall the 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 um, inconsistencies within the system by having different judges on each panel. That's still not a good look. I mean, it's if people like the if if the first thing people think about when when something like this happens is it's rigged. Well, I mean, that means there's something wrong with how this is being handled because there need there needs to be some some pretty good reasons for, for people to just say it's rigged. And I mean, I know people really do exaggerate sometimes, but in this case, if you don't know any better, and let's be honest, no one really does because we have no idea why they came to this conclusion and, and decided that colleague doesn't deserve to get their penalty, uh, um, get their penalty removed. What, what else can you really say? I mean, at, at first glance, it just looks like the appeals penalty likes Hendrick more than colleague. If yeah, there's there's not really any sort of transparency or consistency to say, oh, well, this is why this is why Hendrick uh, had a better case than Colleague. We have no idea. I mean, sure, you can take Hendrick's word for it, but is Rick Hendrick's word really that valuable? I mean, he's not exactly the cleanest guy in the garage. He has, I'm sure, he has more skeletons in his closet than the average team owner. Is he really? the guy to take his word for it. Shouldn't we know from the appeals panel and from NASCAR why this actually happened? Well, first of all, I think you're making a lot of assumptions um, saying Hendrick has more skeletons in his closet. You have no basis behind that. I, I, I do agree, though, that Hendrick is certainly more influential than a Matt colleague. 
Um, probably second in the garage only to Roger Penske in terms of overall racing history and, and establishment. Um, and I think that might be a factor. I also think you do have to look at the the two organizations. Hendrick Motorsports is a 30-year juggernaut in or closing in on 40 years in NASCAR that has a ton of resources. It's a four-car team. And because all four cars were penalized, all four teams, that entire organization needed to mobilize in this case. And so I would not be shocked at all if, if they were able to come up with much more information and a much stronger argument than a colleague racing that's a two-car team that's only in their second full-time season in the Cup Series. Um, it that that could be a factor now and and i will say even though it's not exactly fair it's also not like hendrick is to fault for that i mean you you use the resources you have however i would agree is that i there there needs to be changes i i don't know what you could do i was thinking this morning Maybe you let each team in the garage appoint one person to a pool and then each appeals you get and NASCAR appoints like three people. And so you end up with, I don't know what you would end up with, like a pool of 15 people, right? And then every time an appeal comes up, you pick five people, three people from that pool with the stipulation that whatever team or driver is involved in the appeals process in that case their appointed member can't work in their favor and 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 maybe that's a way to do it so the teams have more confidence that hey you know maybe i don't know you have someone with a bit more knowledge of the situation and you also have uh the teams feel they have a bit more control and also you're a bit more consistent in that you know how each person on the panel votes or how what what they're thinking, what their history is, instead of trying to guess and figure out what a hauler salesman, who was one of the, the members of the Hendrick appeal panel, uh, how do you think he thinks and votes and what's his history and his connections? Because nobody's ever heard of him before. Whereas if you have like um, like the GMs from the team, maybe every team GM uh, gets a spot on the panel and they help vote. I don't know what the solution is, but there needs to be more transparency in this system because, like you said, even if, and I don't think there's any, I think the chance of there being something dishonest and, and like legitimately messed up in this scenario is very low. I think it's just uh, poor communication and incompetency on, on probably all sides in, in some aspect. It leads people to think that way and it's overall not a good look for the sport i mean you really can't blame this is the second appeal hendrick has won that you know probably they shouldn't have that you know both penalties that they've gotten and and got an appeal as well um they were both very reasonable penalties well within the rule book that you know anyone would say yeah that, that should probably be penalized yet they got away with both of them that is i would say that is unheard of i don't think We've seen such obvious penalties be overruled before, to this extent. Yeah, I don't, I don't like saying "got away with it" because they, um, 
I think they made their case. And I, I don't know. We, ha- I mean, really, I don't know because we we don't know what yeah. they said or it's. We don't. We have no idea what their thinking was, but also this is yeah. I, I, it's just it, it's a sticky situation, and it, and overall, bad look for NASCAR, bad look for the teams, and also, I don't know if you saw the. Um, I don't know if you you got to see the the article on the athletic, but uh, they interviewed a bunch of teams and stuff in the garage and after the Hendrick penalty they think that this is going to open things up and that you can get away with more fudging of the rule book which is exactly what NASCAR doesn't want but that could be really interesting to see if this ends up having a fallout where teams are able to argue their their innocence basically in messing with these parts and I don't know what that could lead to I think we're going to see at least one team try it um, I don't know what team that would be. I have a suspicion it might be either 2311 or Joe Gibbs. Um, especially Denny, which he's been vocal about. I mean, I don't know if you saw his episode of the podcast where he was discussing this, but he was very vocal about how he thinks this is unfair. And I think I personally would not be surprised to see him try to get away with it at some point. I mean... He has a case for it. Like he could literally just say, "Why did they get away with it? What did I do differently from what Hendrick did? I changed the parts too. Why can't I get away with it?" Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. We've discussed this last episode too. It doesn't really matter for what session of the weekend you use it, or for what if you modify the parts and then it's on the car and you show up the track. By all means, you should get the penalty. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it. I don't think that argument would hold water. You can't just say, "Oh, well, they did it, so I should be able to too." I think that would get tossed out in a hurry. But you could build an argument around that. I don't. I think you'd have to. You'd have to word it a little bit better than that. But yeah, I would agree. It, it, this could open the doors for a lot of really interesting scenarios as we go out through this season. And, and and let's be honest, I'm sure there are also teams that are already doing this and are being sneaky enough to, to avoid it. Um, I, I can't imagine that every single car in the garage is the same at this point. You know, it's that I, I don't think I don't think we can assume that at this point. I'm sure teams have figured things out and, and there are probably just about every team in the garage is probably getting away with something right now and hasn't been caught yet. Because that's NASCAR and that's how it works. Um, you want to move on. Let's move on to this other news. And I think this is more concerning for the future of the sport. So on Wednesday, there was a uh, scheduled meeting between team owners and NASCAR leadership uh, that the team owners decided to unanimously boycott uh, to show displeasure over um, stalled negotiations over the new revenue sharing agreement and the charter agreement with the upcoming uh, deadline to kind of uh, re-sign it and figure out the contracts for that in 2024 uh, ahead of the new TV deal that also is set to be negotiated during that time. Um, It sounds like the sticking point is the charter agreement. Uh, The teams want the charters to become permanent and NASCAR specifically chairman Jim France uh, does not want to make it permanent. 
Uh, and, and and that is where they're disagreeing. And this is kind of a symbolic gesture um, to, to send a message, basically, that the teams can and will if uh, use means any means necessary to, to get their way. This is kind of concerning to me, honestly. And I don't know. It it, it it might just be simple negotiating, but this is not something you want to test the waters of, I feel, uh, because we've seen this happen before in other racing series, and it has not ended pretty. Here's my, fa- my take on it. I was never really a fan of the charter system. I think it is a barrier of entry that, while good on paper, it kind of stalls and ruins one NASCAR is known for, right? Showing up with a car and just giving your best shot and trying to make the race and st- and this still being financially viable. Right now without the charters it's 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 complete it's like burning money trying to make a race and and racing a full season without a charter because you're not you're just not going to get enough purse money. However, the teams make the sport. They them not showing up to the track would absolutely kill NASCAR. Like you cannot replace Roger Penske, you cannot replace Hendrick, you cannot replace Joe Gibbs. That is just it is non-negotiable. If those guys leave or or any of any of the lower lower tier guys leave, I mean if if you have someone like I don't know, like Brad Daughtery or um a front row, if they leave, that's also a big hit because those are also teams that have been around for a long time and at this point are pretty iconic. So yeah. you have to find you have to find some way to please both sides because I'm sure NASCAR is was hoping that this next gen car would have brought in more teams than it already did. I mean, sure there's 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 plenty of of new teams that have joined, but I'm I'm thinking they were expecting more. I mean, you have twenty four eleven Trackhouse and and Live Fast. Maybe I'm missing one, but I think it's those three. I'm sure NASCAR was expecting way more. Um, so I think that it makes sense that they would want the charters to go away after a while, but they have to find a compromise. If the charters are going away, the teams should get more money directly from NASCAR, just straight up from the pot, from their pocket, or maybe from the TV TV guys. They need to get more money because they deserve it. They are what makes the sport what it is. You can't deny the teams the, the money because they can leave and we've seen it happen. Yeah, so of course what we're referencing in the past is IndyCar's split in the 80s and 90s when they split into CART and the Indy Racing League. Um, and so it, uh, it it really, I mean, we all know IndyCar is not big anymore, but it was. And and it really broke the the, the series apart in the United States to the point that they had a phenomenal race last week at Texas, and they had 850,000 viewers on TV. Less than a million people watched one of the best IndyCar races I've ever seen. Point being, this is not something you want to risk. This is not – you don't want to make threats. Uh, and, of course, you remember back in January that news broke that that the teams, the race teams alliance, were exploring running races – outside of NASCAR jurisdiction. And that was even more concerning than this. But point being, um, I think there's a big gap in the way that the teams want 
it to run versus how want want the the revenue split up and how NASCAR wants it. And I would honestly, I would defend the charter system because at this point, it makes it more appealing to owners to stay in the sport and to join the sport. And and um, because in the past, the only assets that you could sell, if you wanted to get out of the sport, the only assets you could sell was your shop, your race shop, maybe the haulers, uh, everything else, your tools, your cars, all that. You're selling for pennies on the dollar. You're not making much money leaving the sport uh, compared to something like um, to, to any stick and ball sports where, where you own, if you own a team, if you own a major league baseball team, you will, if you ever want to get out, you're making your money back. And I think that's appealing to owners. I think that has enabled teams like Trackhouse uh, to get off the ground so quickly, uh, to find success so quickly. And I, I personally, I, I like the charter system. It needs some tweaking. And I don't think open cars should be, um, should get less purse money. I think that it, it should be uh, the same split as uh, the, the chartered teams because charters are a hot commodity. I think they're valued around $15 million right now. Um, I would, I, I, I guess I could, I, I would say I would be okay with them sticking around for, for the, for a long time. I think they should make them. I, I think they should come up with a system that makes the charters as optional as possible. So pretty much, Hey, you can't own a charter if you want to have, if you want to have some value to your to your race team and and have you know that safety net you can fall back on if things go wrong, but you don't have to have one to be able to have a successful and profitable and financially logical race team because I'm sure that 37 from you know the JDG 37 would probably still be around to some extent if it was financially viable without a charter. Right now, it just simply isn't. But yeah. I don't think teams should be punished for making the decision, hey, I don't think I'm going to purchase a charter. Sure, it makes sense to, hey, maybe um, there's a chance you missed a race. I guess that that, that makes sense. That's fair. I, I'm sure that's what gives the charter most of its value, having that guarantee that you'll make the race no matter what. But um, there also should still be some incentives to make the decision, hey, I'm not going to buy that charter. I don't think it's financially viable for our for my race team to buy a charter i want to run without it and and you should be able to do that pretty pretty safely i mean in general i think what the teams want is for for is for running a nascar cup series team to be an economically viable business if you will that that right now they rely on sponsorship to be competitive i think ideally they would get enough money that they could run a competitive car without needing sponsorship and sponsorship helps them make actually make money and improve their team. And I think if, if you're able to, to work that out where NASCAR still gets enough money to run, the tracks still get enough money to run and the teams get enough money to run, then you're, you would have a really appealing model for potential owner, for potential manufacturers, possibly, which I think is the only way we'd get more charters. Um, and I think that would overall boost the value of the sport. But that's a lot of what ifs. And obviously, the teams are not, do not feel like 
the um the 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 negotiations are moving in the right direction and that's what's concerning is NASCAR needs to understand they've been greedy for a while they need to open up their pocketbook a little bit and stop just hoarding some of the TV money away and of course we don't know all the financials for it maybe NASCAR's giving as much as they can and the teams aren't aware of that but you know, NASCAR needs to, to be willing to, to take this because without the teams, they are nothing. NASCAR is in a weird spot, especially this year. I mean, you can chalk it up to a bunch of reasons, but ratings are going down. And they're going down more significantly than I've personally ever seen them in, in my time watching NASCAR. I'm sure they went down way more in the past. But since I started watching, this is the most I've ever seen them go down. I'm not too concerned about that, honestly, but because just about everything is seeing ratings go down. So anyway, continue. Well, it's it, I mean, it's still it's still something to look at because, you know, all in all. It, it contributes to to the problem that I still think NASCAR is focusing on the wrong things. I don't think they realize just how well off they would be if they just focus on the basics they got a bunch of really memorable historic teams on their hands. Less for some drivers. There are some drivers that are still just complete milk toast, but that's not that's not NASCAR's fault. <laughs> anyway, they have they still have a bunch of legacy legacy teams that people have an extremely strong emotional connection to. They still go to classic iconic racetracks. And NASCAR is still a household name for people that have been watching it for generations. That is what they should be focusing on. They should just do their absolute best to have the fairest and purest form of racing they can absolutely put put on, put on TV. Because F1 is F1 is 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 it's huge now, but it's not going to be huge in 5 years. F1 is a fad, it's a trend and people are going to get bored of it because it's not Really, besides just having fast race cars and fancy semantics, it's not that competitive. It's it's only just one team running away with it, whether it's Mercedes, whether it's Red Bull. It's been like that for years at this point. People are going to get bored. NASCAR has this unique quality where there's always at least two teams that are good, that are generally good and can compete consistently with each other. Sometimes even more, most years even more. So what NASCAR needs to do is stop trying to focus on Chicago street courses and and weird stuff like this that it's not going to last. Do you honestly see the Chicago street course being on a schedule in five years? It's not going to be on the schedule next year because they just had the, the, the guy that was most vocally opposed elected as their new mayor. Exactly. It's there's. There's a lot of stuff that I can only call money pit money pits that NASCAR is focusing on right now that I do not think they should. There's been changes happening lately, some really significant, some small, that you know normally would make sense on paper, but once you actually put them into execution, they don't actually do anything. Like sure, you can move the number forwards and and theoretically speaking, sponsors would be more willing to put their name on the car because there's more space. But exactly the year that happened, M&M's leaves. So why even move the numbers? Just leave them there. I mean, I don't care anymore. I like the numbers move forward, but I'm just saying it's, it's, it's stuff that they're wasting time on. 
trying to figure out all these semantics on how to get the Gen Zers and everyone in, interested in the sport when they just need to com- keep doing the basics and keep the guys that are already watching for years to come because we'll be fine if we do that. If we keep throwing money at stuff that makes absolutely no sense and, and won't do much for the sport on the long term, we're wasting our time. And I know this was a bit of a rant, but I mean, it's as good as ever to really bring this up because I mean, we've, we're seeing it right now. Teams are not happy with how they're being treated and rightfully so. Yeah. Well, they see, they see the, the success of formula one right now and how those teams um, get, get money and get funding I mean, we've seen how hard it is for Andretti to get in to Formula One. I think I, I just I, I agree. It's a good time to bring it up. And you know, their NASCAR used to be when NASCAR was at its peak. It was appealing because it was it was pure racing. It was hard racing. It was competitive, and the cars were were fascinating and cool. Now. Last year, I think we saw a bump because of the next-gen car in ratings. Next-gen car isn't that impressive, honestly. It's not that fascinating. It, it, it does not. And, and it seems like its main draw in that it would close the playing field up and make things more, uh, more not fair, but bring more parity and bring more teams to the front. It happened last year. It's not happening this year. Hendrick Motorsports has won three races. Penske has won a race. Um, there's been one quote-unquote underdog team, and that was at a super speedway race that won a race. And and you see the, the same characters from 2021 up front, the same teams. Um, we had one year of parity, and now we're back. And, you know, the the, the, the engines aren't impressive. The, 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 the speeds aren't impressive. NASCAR needs to, you know, they've done a good job with some things going back to uh, their roots in some areas. They've got North Wilkesboro coming. They're seemingly progressing in the right direction with the packages, but they they need to they need to just make the series more more pure in a way. And, and I, I think and they can't forget their teams in the process. They can't do to themselves what they did in from from '95 to '05, chasing popularity too much. Um. Honestly, I think they should just stop worrying about manufacturers, the the like imaginary manufacturers they've been waiting waiting for for years to come in and just take the restrictor plate off. Mm-hmm. Let the cars run as fast as that engine can possibly let them go. If Toyota wants to complain about it, oh, we can't build 900 horsepower engines, we'll just leave. They're not going to do that. They're, they've dumped way too much money in to leave. So they're going to figure it out eventually. They'll, they'll cry for like a year, but they'll figure it out. Just just let them go as fast as they can. The cars are slow. They're not that impressive. They're just slow. I mean it's 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 boring seeing them pretty much go on a Sunday drive around Richmond when they used to like fly around there. Uh, Richmond was pretty good. I enjoyed Richmond. But to to each their own. Um you know what's funny about the manufacturer thing, and, and we're running out of time here on Zoom, so we gotta wrap this up, but um you know who has who, what the main American company that still focuses on on like muscle cars and stuff? What is it? It's Dodge. 
one of the manufacturers they're chasing, its main focus is high horsepower, loud muscle cars. They're still releasing, Dodge is just about the only manufacturer that is still releasing high horsepower street cars. And, and that still focuses on their muscle cars. And and so I really do not buy anymore NASCAR's excuse for the low horsepower. I, I don't think they have an excuse anymore at this point because the, the, the main manufacturer that they've seemingly been trying to court goes against everything NASCAR has said manufacturers want. I don't look, I don't want Honda. I mean, Honda would be cool. Nissan would be cool. I'm sure I would I would be happy. It would be great to hear that we had another manufacturer, but we should not be changing the the DNA of our sport to appeal to manufacturers. We should be staying true to the DNA of the sport and finding the manufacturers that align with that. If you want to come into the sport, here are the rules we have. This is what you need to build to get in. If you don't like it, don't come in. I'm sure we'll find someone else. That's what they should be saying. If Toyota doesn't want to build 900 horsepower engines, they can leave. I'm sure we'll find someone else to do it. Toyota can't Toyota can't just complain that they can't build them. We'll figure it out. If you're in the sport, figure it out. Well, this this escalated in a hurry. And uh maybe we should try and get uh I, I have some ideas for some people I want to try and, and, and get onto the show. Um so that much being said, that'll be the new segment for this week. Coming up next, our preview of the Bristol Dirt Race, the third iteration. This one kind of snuck up on me. I, I haven't even fully realized it's the Bristol Dirt Race this weekend, but that's up next on the Quick Pit Podcast. Welcome back to the Quick Pit Podcast. You made it to segment number three of this week's show, the 213simware.com race preview segment. Check out the link in the description below for his website where you can get your sim racing merchandising gear on there. You can upload it for free. Get your t-shirts, hats, and hoodies. Go check it all out at the link below 213simware.com. We've got Bristol Dirt this week. Race number eight of the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season. First race on dirt, only race on dirt. The third time we've been on the dirt at Bristol. And it will be Sunday night, uh, Easter Sunday. I need to quick pull up the full information for the race time and location. But it's on Fox. It is, uh, we are excited. It's at 7 p.m. Sunday, April 9th. Uh, the Food City Dirt Race at Bristol on Fox. You can also listen on the radio on PRN and Sirius XM Channel 90 for NASCAR radio. Track facts is Bristol Motor Speedway, which was built a long time ago. It's a half mile long uh, dirt oval for the time being. Of course, they'll pull all the dirt off for the for the um, September race there, the, the uh, Bristol night race later this year, but 
uh, dirt race for the spring. Controversial to some. I think it's unique. We'll see how the third iteration does. Last year was a bit of a mess. Year one was a bit of a mess. Maybe they'll finally figure it out um, this year. So, some drivers that have done well here in the past. Joey Logano and Kyle Busch are the two drivers who have won. Logano won in 2021. Kyle Busch won in 2022. Last year, Kyle Busch won after Reddick, Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe tangled on the final lap. And uh, Kyle Busch slipped past them both to win the race. Best average finish in the series um, over the two races is Joey Logano. He won in 2021, as I mentioned, and finished third there last year. Daniel Suarez has led the most lap. No, Martin Truex Jr. has led the most laps at the racetrack in the two races here at 126. Followed by Daniel Suarez at 122. Tyler Reddick at 99, and uh, Chase Briscoe at 59 laps. No, Joey Logano at 61. Anyway, so multiple drivers have finished uh, in the top 10 in both races. Chase Elliott, who's not racing, still recovering from his injury, uh, has finished in the top 10 twice. Logano has, Reddick has, Ryan Blaney has. He needs a good run. And uh, some other guys who have a top 10 here. Denny Hamlin, Christopher Bell. Ty Dillon got a top 10 here last year's only top 10. Keep an eye on him. Eric Jones got a top 10. Um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Finished second here in the first race. Michael McDowell has one of the best average finishes over the last two years. He might be a good underdog pick, especially with the speed that team has shown the last couple weeks, as I believe he's finished 12th and uh, 9th in his two races here. So uh, he had a top 10 here last year. Also look at Brad Kozlowski. He doesn't have a top 10, but he's had two solid finishes. Justin Haley ran well here last year. Chris Buescher. Todd Gilliland had a pretty good run. Ryan Priest, decent run in the past. Um, take a look at him. Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, and Chase Briscoe, as well as Tyler Reddick, are some of the best dirt racers in the field, so keep an eye on them, as well as uh, Alex Bowman and Justin Haley, as we've mentioned. Uh, both have some dirt experience, too. Uh, there is one open car in this race. College Racing is running a third car once again this week after they fielded one for Chandler Smith last week in the 13. Uh, Jonathan Davenport is going to be running the race, and, and Davenport is a uh, dirt late model driver. Exciting to see him. He'll be in the Nutrient Ag Solutions car. How about this? College Racing poached. Uh, Proctor and Gamble from Legacy Motor Club. Last year, both uh, Petty GMS cars, which is now Legacy Motor Club, uh, had Tide products. Eric Jones had Tide, and, and Tide Dillon had Gain on the 42. Colleague Racing will be running those two colors this week, and their paint schemes look phenomenal. Some of the best paint schemes I've seen on this next-gen car. Um, believe it'll be... Shoot, let me find it. Yes, AJ Allmendinger, the 16 will have gain. The 31 will have tie. The 31 reminds me so much of Ricky Craven's 32 tied car, the, the one that won at Darlington over Kurt Busch in that photo finish. Super cool cars. So, uh, that much to say. Uh, Davenport, we've seen how Dirt Ringers do in this race. They're not very good, in all honesty. Um, and, and they t seem to struggle with the heavy cars. It's completely foreign to them. So I'm not I, I, I'm not too optimistic. I don't even think I'd put him in my fantasy lineup. 
Um, although this race is chaotic, typically, and, and there are guys that run well that you don't expect and guys that you expect to run well that don't. Uh, it's I, I don't think really dirt experience plays much of a factor into this race. So, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have... Um, I'm not confident in giving any predictions here because we just don't know. It's like, you know, there have been guys that we've expected to be really good, really good that have struggled. And then you have someone like Joey Logano, who's probably been the best driver at this racetrack uh, since it debuted. And it ha he hasn't really, he doesn't have dirt experience. Daniel Suarez has no dirt experience and he's run well here. You know, Chase Elliott doesn't have much of a dirt background. Michael McDowell doesn't. But they run well here. Brad Kozlowski. So, it, you just don't know. While Kyle Larson, uh, guys who, who have been really good dirt racers in their career, Kyle Larson, Chase Briscoe, Ty Dillon, they've had speed, but they've also struggled to finish. So, I, I don't really know what to predict here with that. Which being said, we'll get into our picks. And Connor and Eric have both gone with Christopher Bell. Uh, probably the consensus top. One of the three best dirt racers in the field. Uh, right up there in the conversation with uh, Larson and Reddick and Briscoe. Seabell has won the Chili Bowl before uh, as well as uh, Larson has. So both of them picked Bell. Both of them knew that the other had picked Bell and they still chose to ride with Bell. So they're very confident in this. Um, Noah Gregson is series pick. I'm going to ride with Joey Logano. He always seems to do well in the wild one-off races, and he's been the best car here um, the last couple years. He's had the best results. So I am going to pick Logano to win, become a multi-time winner at the Bristol Dirt Race, and that is my pick for this week. So with that much being said, that'll do it for this race preview segment. Um, last week, none of us got our picks correct um, at Richmond. Uh, I guess I kind of got close with Hamlin until he, he coughed it up at the end. If he had had a good penalty-free final run, he might have had a chance at the win. But that'll wrap up this week's show. Big thank you to Variety Sports Network for coming on board, or inviting us on board, rather. Uh, big thank you to 213simware.com for sponsoring this segment, as well as SpoilerDieCast.com and Washington on the Daily. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to share it around. And uh, tell your friends and family, make sure you watch the race this Sunday. Should be an, uh, uh, an intriguing one at the very least. And we'll see you next time on the Quick Pit Podcast.